will tie into a little bit about what I'm going to talk about this morning. And You know, another thing I was thinking based on what I'm going to speak to you about this morning is just take a moment and just look around. I just want you to look at some people and look at their faces just for a minute. Look at various ones. What I'd like to say, and this ties into to what we're going to talk about today, is if you could imagine that one day that person you're looking at is going to be totally transformed, totally changed. And what you see today will be a shadow of an image of what one day we will be. And this is the reality for us as believers in Jesus Christ. And it's one that we need to embrace and understand and and really uh, grab hold of. And today what I want to talk to you about is in some ways not necessarily a comfortable subject. And it's the, it's the subject of change. And many of us are very uncomfortable with change. And, and the truth is, is that change can be very hard. Um, I guess by definition, change means that we're not what we ought to be. Which I think we all know that anyway. As we walk on this earth, we're not what we ought to be, and that we're in process. Well, welcome to God's plan for your life and mine, and that is change. We've been going through in our Sunday school class the book of Romans, and we've hit Romans 12, and we've been on verses 1 and 2 for four weeks. And uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit out of Romans 12, 1 and 2, and, but we'll probably only talk mostly about 2. And actually, the, in doing this, it's actually kind of modeling a little bit about what I'll talk about later, about how we're to approach the Scriptures in a way that changes us. So let me just, if you'll turn in your Bibles, I don't have any overheads today. So, whether you have the old-fashioned Bible that you hold in your hand, or your iPhone, or iPad, or not to be uh, parochial, Android, or Galaxy, um, <laughs> If you would turn or scroll to the appropriate uh, passage here, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. This whole matter of being transformed by the renewing of your mind is a lifetime endeavor. And I say this up front with particular emphasis, given that we live in an age where change is so rapid, and it's getting more and more rapid, particularly in the areas of information and data. Just by way of example, you've probably heard the expression, I want what I want, and I want it now. You've probably heard it from yourself first, and then you've heard it from others. Well, you know what? We live in a time where actually that's mostly possible, if you think about it. Any Amazon Prime members in here? Okay. Well, you can almost get what you want right when you want it. It's two-day shipping free, um, and really it's just spending a few minutes at your computer. And you can push the next day uh, button as well if you want to spend a little bit more. Um, and uh, if you look at uh, Face FaceTime uh, on the iPhone, instantly I can be 
face-to-face with you at any part of the globe. Instant presence. Uh, Google Maps is another example. I'm, I'm sure that if you have an, uh, a device, you can know where you are and wherever you want to go, it's going to tell you how to get there. Not always the way you thought it was going to do that. But instantly, where am I? Where am I going right away? Facebook. Pretty much instant relationship on a massive scale. If I need some affirmation, for the most part, it's right there. I can go get it. Google itself, instant knowledge. You know, I'm in the education business, and one thing we're starting to say is that information is ubiquitous. In other words, just teaching people the what to know, they can go on their iPhone and in about a second have whatever information and knowledge that they need. And so we live in a society where that's become a part of the culture and a part of our way of thinking. Um, so when we think about this matter of us changing, actually biblical transformation, we've got to somehow think a little bit differently about that. So how do we view this idea of change or transformation in this fast-paced instant gratification society that we live in. Well, the transformation of our whole person is by God's definition a lifetime endeavor. And it's really more like a crock pot than a microwave. But marinating in God's presence and word for a lifetime and living out of that is what God is after. You don't wake up one day and say, I'm all better. It just doesn't work that way. Because here's what happens. People come to Christ But they're still struggling with anger. They're still struggling with the fact that they were verbally abused when they were young by a parent and carry that with them every day of their life. Still struggling with those things. Being rejected and still carrying the scars of rejection and never being seem seem to be able to get past that. Or maybe has just grown up as a people pleaser. And that's just a hallmark of your life and just don't seem to be able to to get past that. And you know what? This list could go on and on and on. And I'm sure that even as I spoke, you know, some of you had things that were coming to your mind. So, so just go ahead and personalize it. And just say to yourself, you know, I've been a Christian for however long that is, but I still struggle with X, whatever it is. And anybody that's been a Christian here for a while, I just looked at Carmen and I saw him, you know, kind of chuckle because he knows and I know that we, it doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. We're still dealing with the depths of sin in our lives and in our hearts and asking the Lord to continue to change us. Um, there is no arrival in this life. And so, God in His infinite wisdom planned that you and I, with all of His children, would spend a lifetime incrementally displaying His glory by changing bit by bit and little by little. And this idea of what some would call progressive sanctification, this idea is that We're progressing into the image of Christ um, is the journey that we're on. And it's what really helps us appreciate God's patience and His grace uh, to us. And it helps us to give that patience and grace to others as we have received. It also points to the future hope that we have. That we see, when we see Christ face to face, that we'll be changed and we'll be like Him. So I want to encourage you today, as we get started as a fellow sojourner, in this process of transformation, the process of change, that whatever you're struggling with today, whatever your sin is uh, in your life, something that may have a stronghold in your life, whatever heart attitudes you have they are not pleasing to God, that you're holding on to, there may be unforgiveness in your life, 
There may be bitterness towards others that you're struggling with. You just may be in a place of spiritual apathy right now where really you're just not interested in the things of God. Um, you may be in a place where you think things are going pretty well. Kind of a smooth patch, if you will, of sorts. But whatever situation you're in, it's God's plan for you. And I can, I can definitively and authoritatively say this, based on the authority of God's Word, that He wants you to change. And He wants me to change. And I also pray that for some of you that are here today, you need hope. You, know, you really need a boost of hope. And we all need that. But sometimes you're in that place where you just need hope. And I want to give you hope that wherever you're at, that God will do a work in you. And it's His plan to change you to be more and more like Christ, to bring you victory, to bring you healing in the different areas of your life. And nothing is impossible with God. And if you're here today, I hope that you can hear that message. So God, give us a wake-up call <clears throat> about your desire for us to change. So let's go back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. And, and let's start off with just a little bit of a background here. In the book of Romans, this is kind of the crossroads, uh, verses 1 and 2. We've just, in the, in the last uh, 11 chapter, Paul has talked about really what some would call orthodoxy, or what we believe. What we believe about our salvation and the great salvation that God's given to us. And it really starts off in, in Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. The whole book of Romans is about the gospel. He points that out there. Um, this is one of the greatest works, the book of Romans, on our faith, on the gospel. And it really, it really echoes, <coughs> excuse me, echoes the cries of the reformers and says that our salvation is by grace alone as opposed to any other merit. Through faith alone as opposed to any works that we might do. Through Christ alone as opposed to any other mediators. And all this is found in the Scriptures alone as opposed to the traditions of men. And this is all for the glory of God alone. Now Paul's about to make a big transition in Romans, uh, and he's going to move from what we believe to how we live, if you will. And from 12 to 16, that's where Paul's going. But in 12, 1 and 2, he actually gives us a summary of the Christian life before he makes this transition. So change begins with the gospel. And if we look back at Romans uh, 1, 16 and 17, if you want to turn there, that's where Paul lays out the thesis for the book of Romans that guides everything we read in the book of Romans through that lens. Romans 1, 16 and 17. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So Paul spends the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans telling us about the righteousness of God. He starts out uh, in the very beginning in chapter 1 and goes through chapter 3, verse 20, and he's talking about the process and depth of sin. And this is the gospel. He lays us all bare, pagans and religious alike. He says that all of us are guilty. And then from chapters 3 to 5, Paul talks about the great gift of God's righteousness, what we would call justification. Really, what makes us acceptable to God, the righteousness of Christ. 
And he talks about that great, great gift. And then in chapter 6 through 8, Paul talks about our sanctification. Really, this process of overcoming sin in our life. Now that we've been justified, how do we actually walk that out in overcoming sin? And he talks to us about the theology of that. And then he goes on in chapters 12 through 16, and he talks about how we're to live that out in every sphere of life, whether it's in relationship to the body of Christ, in those relationships, relationships to unbelievers, relationships to the government, relationships to those who are enemies. Paul talks about how does the gospel and the righteousness of God behave in relationships to others. So, with Romans 12, 1 and 2 as a summary of the Christian life, um, let's move on to, to actually talk about the text itself. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, and, and the NIV says it much more beautifully in view of God's mercies, to present your bodies living a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So Paul starts talking about the motivation to live the Christian life and the consecration or dedication that we do to live the Christian life. And here would be a summary of verse 1 because I want to spend most of my time talking about being transformed in verse 2. So a summary of verse 1 goes like this. Paul says, I urge you, brothers... Well, first of all, he's talking to fellow believers. So, to be transformed and changed obviously begins with the gospel of being born again. And if you're in a place in your life where you need to change, and you know that, and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, that's exactly where you need to begin. Because without Christ in your life, you don't have the ability to change. You just don't. And we'll talk more about that as we go. But he says, I urge you, brothers. This, You know, Paul was an apostle, but this word urge actually means to come alongside. And it actually comes from a root word which is connected to the comforter, the one who comes alongside. And so Paul was saying, I'm coming alongside of you. I urge you, my brothers. I urge you. And so really the lesson in order for us to change is we need each other. We absolutely need one another. There is no lone ranger Christians. And so we need to be a part of encouraging and exhorting one another. And I guess what I would ask you is, is anybody encouraging you or exhorting you in your life? And then I would ask you, are you doing that for someone else? And that needs to be a regular part of every believer's life, both ways. You need to be an encourager and an exhorter. And to exhort is really to come alongside and to urge somebody onwards, to push them forward in the direction towards the Lord. That's what exhortation is. And encouraging others as we do that. So we need that both ways. And then he goes on to say, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies. So he really points them to the motivation in the Christian life. And this is really, really key. You know, and as we were singing that song, you know, just my heart was full. Because, you know, for us to walk out this Christian life, we have to first start by just looking back over what Paul talked about in Romans chapters 1 through 11. Just the amazing salvation, what He's done for us. What that song pointed out is what God's done on our behalf. So how often do you gaze on what Christ has done on your behalf? The love that He has for you, the mercies that He's poured out in your heart. Because if you don't do that, maybe there's other things that are motivating you. Guilt or fear of a wrathful God who's always out to get you. But says, no, it's actually what motivates us is the mercies of God. 
You're all familiar with the scripture that says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. We're not drawn because we're fearful of a big hammer. We are just undone by the grace and love and mercy of God. And so we need to constantly be thinking on that. This isn't something that I read and I move on. Every day, you may have heard this, I need to preach the gospel to myself every single day. I need to remember every day. This needs to be a part of who we are. He then goes on to say to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Now, there's a lot we could talk about here. Look, there's, there's about ten sermons in all of these. But suffice it to say, Paul is using language here from the Old Testament sacrificial system. And to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Well, there was the sin offering in the Old Testament. But really, Christ has fulfilled that. Christ has been our sin offering once and for all. But now Paul is saying, okay, so what is this offering? It would actually be a burnt offering from the Old Testament sacrificial system, which was to consecrate yourself. And it was one given daily and on the Sabbath and on festivals and on holidays often. And that's how we're to consecrate ourselves continually. Simply, you must give your all. But in the living, not in the dying. And really, it's the only way that's acceptable to live for Him. And then he goes on to say, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, what does that mean? Well, that word spiritual may just throw you off a bit. But it really, what that means, the word spiritual means here, rational or logical or reasonable. In other words, to put it where we can all understand it, given what Christ has done for us, all on our behalf, there's only one logical thing to do. And that's to lay our lives down on the altar as a sacrifice to Him. There's nothing else that would quite make sense, would it? C.S. Lewis says this in his book, Mere Christianity. Give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you. All of you. I've not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to prune a bare branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit, all of your desires and all of your wants and all of your wishes and all of your dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me. And I will make you a new self in my image. Give me yourself. And in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. And that's transformation. And Lord, as I was preparing this, I thought, when I think of what you have done on my behalf, how you placed your saving love on me, chief among sinners and hypocrites and immoral people, and how even now in the shadows of my old life, the old man, my unredeemed, unredeemed humanness overtakes me. Your love never shifts or fails. I am undone. I am overwhelmed. And I can do no less than to once again climb upon the altar of your grace and lay me down again for your service and your glory. And Tim Keller says it this way, all of life is repentance. That we're constantly reorienting our lives back to Christ. So what is biblical transformation and how does this happen? Because he goes on in verse 2 and says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
And I am purposefully not going to focus today on not being conformed to this world. Because if I were to actually preach on that, what I would do is tell you that the primary way that you're not conformed to this world is you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. There isn't some list that we're going to paint out there of the world and say, don't do that. And then, now let's come and do this other thing. It's actually in the doing, the being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you're able then to discern what it means to not be conformed to this world. That's the way it works. And so that's the way we're going to treat it today. But I will say this, is that this is here for a reason. Is that whatever age people have lived in, in in Paul's time and our time, there is a spirit of the age. There is a reasoning of the age, a philosophy of the age. We have one that's a little bit distinct to our age, but what hasn't changed is the one who actually is directing that. Then that is Satan. And Satan has been given lots of titles in the Scriptures. Um, and Jesus referred to him as the ruler of this world in John twelve thirty one, And Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2 and the god of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. And what we see happening in the world around us, whether it's the elections in the United States, or whether it's ISIS, or whether it's any event in the world, whatever we see happening is not some random movement through time as a result of man's decisions and inclinations. That's just not the way it works. There's one who's orchestrating this world, this age, from the foundation of being an enemy of God who steals and kills and destroys, all counter to God's ways and His kingdom. And yes, God allows this for a time. There's a spirit of the age a reasoning, a philosophy of men that is counter to the God we love and serve. And we need to be aware of that. And the spirit of this age has a very, very, very strong current. And, what it, and it's very attractive as well. And it's very alluring. But you know what it's attractive to and alluring to? Our flesh. That's what it relates to, our flesh. It's repulsive and counter to our God. So how do we battle being conformed to this world in this age with all its reasoning and philosophy and allurements? Well, we're in the process of being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, if I studied and, as I have studied and meditated on this passage, I will tell you it's had a very sobering effect on me. And yet I really do have a lot of anticipation because I, I really sense that God's working to change me through this. And I'm glad you're along to hear a little bit about that because I need changing from the inside out and that this is the essence of the Christian life that God is changing you and I to be more like his son now the sobering part is to look at your life and honestly assess are you changed are you really changed are you changing does your life reflect more of God's heart his culture and kingdom or do you mirror the ways of this present age in your thinking and and your affections and your behavior. What has been sobering to me is how much I still need to change, and particularly in my heart, to love my neighbor and to really have compassion. And there's a selfishness in me, and I have the ability to control, certainly the desire. I'm jealous. I envy. And the list for me personally goes on. I want to be like my Savior. But this sacrifice thing, all I can say is like the Apostle Paul did in Romans 7. Lord, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of sin? And there is an answer, and that answer is in Jesus Christ. 
This is a quote from C.S. Lewis, and I kind of love it. It's a, it's a little bit humorous, but it kind of gets to the point of transformation. It's, it says it may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. It would be a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. We're like eggs at present. And you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary, decent egg. We must be hatched or go bad. God wants us to change. It's his desire for us. And you know what? In that changing, what do we do? We display his glory. We display his glory. And we're going to talk more about that. The Greek word for this transformation is metamorpho, which right away you can see that's metamorphosis. It's our word metamorphosis. And it's what we apply what? To the caterpillar to the butterfly. Has anybody ever seen that on whether it's YouTube or whatever kind of the fast paced how a how a caterpillar changes to a butterfly. It is it is nothing short of phenomenal. Just how that works. And it is such a picture how how that uh, caterpillar sheds its outer skin. And inside, what's inside actually is a butterfly, but it's being formed and being formed. And then finally one day it breaks out and it's a butterfly. Now the essence of it was there in the very beginning, but it took a shedding, it took a changing, a metamorphosis to happen. And that is exactly what God is doing in you as a believer in Jesus Christ. And once a butterfly, can never be a caterpillar again. That's good news. Um, and really, I won't go into a lot of detail here, but this word is only used four times in, in the New Testament. And, and, and two of the places it's used is, is the word transfigure, when, when Christ was transfigured. When actually the disciples were able to see the glory of God in the God-man. What was veiled in his human flesh was shown in that moment. He was transformed. And that is what's going to happen to you and I one day when we see him and we become like him. So let's talk about the big picture of biblical transformation. I'm going to use Philippians 1.6 to kind of illustrate this to us. If you'll turn there, Philippians 1.6. If you haven't memorized this, this would be a good one to memorize. And I bet a lot of you in here have memorized that verse. That's Philippians 1.6. It says this, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you. Now this is the beginning of transformation, biblical transformation. And it's actually, what happens at that point is, is, is illustrated in a couple of passages. I'm only going to read one, and it's in Ezekiel. And you don't have to turn there, but you can write this down. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. Said so then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances." You need to know, this needs to be in your thinking as a believer, what has happened to you. That you actually have a new heart. Your old heart could not love God, did not want God. God has given you a spirit that now wants to please Him. That actually desires Him. That is alive to Him. He didn't just exchange it. You were dead and now you're alive. Now if that was it, that would be phenomenal enough. But God placed His very presence in you and I. The Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that He placed in us that actually gave us initial life. And it's the Holy Spirit in you and I 
that actually is responsible to transform you and I. And that is what we have to understand first. And it's right there in Ezekiel. Another verse is Titus 3, 5. If you want to write that down, he talks about the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So if you're a believer, this is what's happened to you. And it's very important that you understand that as a beginning place. And he goes on to say, and he will perfect it until the day of Christ. Well, I'd like to go to in, until the day of Christ, and I'll come back to we'll perfect it. And I could spend a lot of time here, but here's how I want to sum this up. You know, that when you and I die, the Scripture says that we will leave our bodies, our spirits will leave our bodies and go to be with the Lord. We won't be in another body at that point. It's our spirit will go be with the Lord. But then later, depending on, you know, and we don't have time to talk about this a lot, but uh, the Scripture talks about how the Lord is going to return and meet us in the air. And when He does that, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then those who remain alive will then come up to meet the Lord. And at that point, those people will be changed in an instant. And so there's an ultimate transformation, not just of our away from sin and in the presence of the Lord, but also our bodies. But that doesn't happen right away. That is ultimately where the transformation is complete. When we're in the presence of the Lord with our new bodies, our glorified bodies. Wouldn't you just like to be teleported there right now? I don't know about you, but I would. But that's not God's plan. And I think partly it's not because in His infinite wisdom, He's chosen to glorify Himself by you and I struggling just like that caterpillar to shed that skin as that butterfly is coming out. That's what He's chosen for us to do. To glorify Him even in the pain, even in the struggle. So, He says, we'll perfect us. We'll perfect it until the day of Christ. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 3.18. We're just going to look at this for a minute. 1 Corinthians 3.18. This is another passage you need to kind of camp out in a little while. I'll set this up. He's referring here. He's just talked about Moses who was up on Mount Sinai with, with God. And... Now, God's glory, for those of you who have either read Exodus or seen the Ten Commandments, um, the, the, the glory of God was on Moses. So much so, he put a veil over his face. And so he's, he's been talking about that. Then he shifts and says, but we, us, us here, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. This passage says it all. It says it all right here. He says, we all with unveiled face. You know what that is? That is the removal of the veil. It's what happened to you if you've been born again where God opened your eyes to see Him and to believe. You can now gaze upon Christ. You can see Him for who He is. We no longer look through a veil as the God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. We can see the Lord. And he says, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And what's that talking about? Well, back in Paul's day, a mirror was basically shined metal. It wasn't glass that we have today. And anytime you were to look at a, a figure there, it would, be, it would be very dim and washed out. And he said, even in this present age, that we're beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord. We still can't see His full glory. But you know who the glory of the Lord is? It's not a thing. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. And we can now see Him. And that we're being transformed 
into that same image, the image of Christ. From the image of Christ to the image of Christ to the image of Christ, continually from glory to glory to glory. And here it says the same thing as we've read before, as from the Lord, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Transformer. So are you getting this? Because we're going to get really, really practical here in a minute. This is the setup. This isn't even the main thing I want to talk about as I look at the clock. So, how can we become in practice what God has declared about us to be true? He has said we're righteous, but we're becoming righteous. How can we become less and less of a Romans 7 Christian who, well, I want to do the right thing, but I don't seem to ever do that. Well, and I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I seem to be doing that all the time. Well, how can that be less and less true of us? Because that is what should be happening to all of us. That more and more, we're actually doing the things that we want to do to please the Lord. And we're actually not doing the things that we know that we don't want to do. That that becomes more and more of who we are. So how do we do that? Well, Paul tells us by the renewing of our minds. And he says, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And we won't get there today necessarily. That's a whole other uh, time together. But talking about as our minds are renewed, we begin to live in a godly way in God's will. We can discern God's will to how we're to live and how we're to behave. So the struggles may not be identical, but many Christians are still caught up in the battles in their mind. And we talk about renewing our minds. So we read verses like 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. But you and I both know and practice that that is what is true about us. But we also know that we're still struggling. Right? And those are two realities. So, the old way of thinking has not gone away. You know, we still struggle with temptations in our mind, bitterness, depression, fear, hopelessness, frustrations, problems, and, and putting it bluntly, sometimes evil thoughts. These are things that still, still invade us. So how do we do this? Let me give you a few thoughts before we move down into you know, some practical things. First of all, what we think on affects our actions. In other words, we act how we think. And then also, it affects our affections. If we only change our thinking, and this is what I don't want you to come away from today with, if we only change our thinking, but we don't change our actions and our behavior, what that does is that creates a big disconnection in our life. Hypocrisy, but it also can make you become disillusioned and harden your heart because you see this big disconnect between what you believe and what you think and actually how you're living. And that could take you down a really bad path. So that's not what... We're talking about it all. We must think rightly, resulting in living rightly and right affections. And these are all connected, and it's no simple matter. And I don't want to oversimplify this today, but I only have so much time. So, if we start off, we, we want to remember the Holy Spirit changes us. We do not. I want to say this, though, that however, we are not passively standing by and waiting for that change moment. Just, Lord, change me just going to stand here. Because really, that's not what the Scripture has called us to do. That we really have called, been called to take an active role in cooperation with God to, to see change in our lives. First of all, one of the most common things in renewing your mind, obviously, is we want to look at the Scriptures. 
2 Timothy 3.16. Turn there, if you will. This is a scripture that we really need to understand. We really need to, to, to put at the foundation of our thinking. And it says that all scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. And we could spend a lot of time on this verse, but suffice it to say that this verse is telling us that, that God's word is breathed from him and actually is adequate. It's perfectly adequate for everything in our life. The second is Hebrews 4:12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So this is where we need to spend time if we really want to know, Lord, what's motivating me? Is what's motivating me in line with you and your thinking and your will for my life? So let's, get, let's talk about how do we approach the Bible. And I want you to do some thinking here. Just think about your own life here. Is how do we approach the Bible so that we're changed when we encounter the Word of God? First of all, I think all of us need to read the Bible. Can I get an amen? Okay, we need to read the Bible. I think we're good on that. Um, we need to read the full Bible, the whole Bible, from cover to cover, so that we can understand the big picture of God's Word. Um, but we also need to meditate on the Word of God. And there's lots of passages. One of my favorite is Psalm 1. Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit, in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Just picture this man, day and night, meditating on God's Word, continually. Joshua was given the charge when he was to take the lead for Israel. The book, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be able to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. In Deuteronomy 6, I won't read through it, but it's the picture. It's the picture of the head of household who is actually constantly putting the Word of God before himself and his family. Now, John Piper gives this illustration as he's talking about how we encounter the Word of God. You know, so often, if you could picture... Picture reading this as you're, you're, you're trying to get out in the morning. You're, you're having your quiet time, which I think most people in here are having a quiet time and spending time with the Lord. But you're doing that and, you know, you got your toast in your mouth and your coffee sitting here. And, you know, you've just finished your devotion for the day and you're trying to get out the door. And, and, and you've just read this passage. You took a few minutes to read this passage. And, and this is where we're going next in our Roman study in Sunday school. Let love be without hypocrisy. Or let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, 
but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, you just read that for your quiet time. As you were rushing out the door, maybe second cup of coffee. Think about that. There's over 20 things in there that are significant as to how what God wants from us in our life. I can't get past verse 1 right now. Let love be without hypocrisy. Genuine love. And I'm, I need to spend months asking the Lord about, am I, am I actually a hypocrite? And I know that I am in ways. Lord, what is this genuine love about? Now, He does give us a clue as we, as we begin to meditate on this. He said, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. So maybe one of the first characteristics of, of actually genuine love is that it's based on truth. And so as we begin to meditate on this and simmer in this and let it simmer in us, God begins by His Holy Spirit. I love in Ephesians because God gives us a direct connection that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Those two are always working together. But also, this Word is living and active. So when we read these and we take these in, God begins to change us. He begins to change us. But a quick reading of that just doesn't do that. And so, meditating on the Scripture. So another way we encounter the Word of God is studying the Scriptures. And these are actually distinct, each of these. We study the Scriptures. Now, granted, I look across the room and I realize that most people here, including myself, didn't go to seminary. It didn't take a lot of time. I don't know Greek and I don't know Hebrew. Um, But what I do know is that we live in a time when there is a lot of tools that we can use to do a little bit deeper dive in the Word of God right now. I don't have to know Greek or Hebrew, but there are some dictionaries out there that can help me understand some words that, that may be really significant as I study the Bible. There's, there's uh, what's called the inductive Bible study method, which is very simple. Observing the Scripture and then interpreting the Scripture and then applying the Scripture to your life. And what that does is that helps you and I, who are laymen and lay women at this, to be able to take something in its context. And understand what God was saying to this this people here and what the principles are that applies to you and I. That we can actually do that. And that what God does is when you study the Word of God, He begins to actually put it into your heart. And it's in your thinking constantly. And you're marinating on it as you do this. And God is changing you. Renewing your mind as you do this. And, And then lastly is memorizing Scripture. You know, your word have I treasured in your heart that I might not sin against you. I can tell you there have been times that have been dark days in my life. And I know there's people across the room who understand the power of memorized Scripture when you're walking through the valley. When you understand that God is with you. All the passages says you're not walking alone. And you don't have to fear. And then when you understand by memorizing Scriptures that talk about the sovereignty of God, And how that hand of His that's guiding your life, no matter what your circumstances are, that God is in control. And this is what renewing our mind does to us. It allows us to operate on God's kingdom and His culture and His economy and His truth as opposed to 
our feelings, or what the world would say. So lastly, as, as we begin to move towards closing, I want to talk about some intentionality in this process. Priscilla and I have been to, to several conferences, and, and Rochelle actually went with us this last year. We had a great time, didn't we, Rochelle? Wonderful. Basically, uh, uh, the, whole, the whole process of biblical counseling is about change, but biblical counseling is another word for discipleship. That's what it is, really. Um, but it's about change. And, you know, there are some people that need help changing more than others. Some people that have strongholds in their lives and can't seem to get past something or stuck and just need somebody to help them walk through that and the Scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, um, one of the things they talked about is this little phrase. And it goes like this. Change doesn't happen in fuzzy land. Change doesn't happen in fuzzy land. In other words, we can want to change, but there has to be some intentionality about, about changing in our lives. Um, so let me leave you with a few thoughts in, in that vein. We've already talked about it, and I can't, can't say this enough. It's the Holy Spirit, as we read in 1 Corinthians 3.18. It actually does the change in us. God will change us, but there's something He's called us to do as a part of that change. First of all, we need to pray, though. We need to pray constantly. If you have an area you want to change in, are you on your knees? And you crying out, as the psalmist did, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. Or may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Is that a cry of your heart? Are you praying, Holy Spirit, would you do in me what I can't do? I cannot love that person. I know you've told me to love that person. I can't. Would you do that in me? Help me to walk that out. And I believe as we walk that out, God begins to change our heart. And I know you've experienced that in your life. When you walked out something, that your heart wasn't there yet. Because I do believe this. I don't believe we're just some, you know, the emotions and the affections of our life. God's not interested in those. He absolutely is interested in those. He doesn't just want to change our mind. He actually wants to change our affections. He wants us to love those people from a genuine heart. Not just because he says to and I just do what you say. That's not how God operates. But it may take some things to change our affections in our hearts because guess what? There's this world thing and there's competing affections. And somehow we get those tangled up a lot of times. But God does want to change us in that way. So through prayer and the study of the word, here's what I would, I would ask you to do maybe this week. Maybe next week. Maybe for the rest of your life. How about that? Um, here's just some ideas for potential areas of change. If we want to be intentional, what are some areas in your life that, that God may need to do a work in? Well, one we can all talk about is our speech, right? How about that one? Um, let no unwholesome word come from your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. So how's our speech going? Well, this isn't meant to condemn you. It's actually, it's actually just for all of us to be real and to say that, you know what? God, is this an area that I really need to ask you to, to do a work in my life in? And I need to, to see what the Scripture has to say about my speech and how I talk. Because that is what most people hear, and, and, and that is kind of the first thing that comes out that gives them an impression of who we are and maybe what's in here. And so your speech may be one thing. Um, or... How about uh, your actions and behaviors? And I won't spend a lot of time here, but 
But there is, in Colossians and Ephesians, chapter 3 in Colossians, and I believe it's 3 in Ephesians, there's this principle of put off and put on. To lay aside and to put on. God's not just said, stand here and say, pour love on me. He actually has said, you need to put on love. You need to put on compassion. So we, gotta, we, have, to, we have to actually be a part of this. Never be mistaken that we're doing this. But we actually have to have an active part in this. How about in our thinking? How about in our thinking? How do we gauge what we think on? How do you gauge what goes into your mind? And, and we'll get into some, just, just real quick here, a list of things. But how do you gauge that? Well, most of you would probably be familiar with this, but how about this for a sifter? If you're going to put something in your mind, because remember, we're renewing our minds, right? God wants us to renew our minds with the Word of God. So what else is going into our mind? Well, how about this one? Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Okay. Can we all agree that let's use that as our sifter about what we're going to think on? You might want to know what it is, right? It goes something like this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence or anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. How about that? That's a pretty good start, isn't it, for what goes into our mind. So we have a hearty amen to that. So let's get down to, to now where we live. What actually does go into our mind? Well, we could start with the television. We could start with what we're watching on television and, and just maybe juxtapose that Philippians 4, 8, 9 over that. In fact, it might be good if you have a television in your home or your computer, you put Philippians 4, 8, 9 right above that. Boy, that's probably a pretty good idea. How about um, the movies that we watch, go see, the entertainment industry that we support? Um, or even how about our reading? How about those juicy romantic novels that I know many are reading out here? Oh, I heard the giggles. Um, I really don't know anybody that's reading a romantic novel, by the way. Um, or even just, you know, one of, the, one of the easy ones, and I made Cecilia, or I asked her to put it in her purse, but, but it's, it's just our mobile devices, you know. We have access to anything at any time. You know, so how are we spending our time there? And, and obviously I would be remiss if I didn't mention social media. You know, how much time are we spending on Facebook? And really, have you ever thought about what the messages are on Facebook? What it's doing to you? Have you thought about that? There is a message from every quadrant of the world as well as, well as spiritual. It's a variety of good things and not so good things, right? But never believe that the things you take in, you can just easily sift out and say, you know, yeah, I know that's wrong. And you just kind of sift them out. Oh, that's, I'll take that on. It doesn't become a part of you, you know. We're pretty complex people in here. And we really need to, as it says in Proverbs 4.23, to guard our hearts with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. And it's talking about our minds, too. So we need to be careful to do that. And so these are some of the things that we need to think through. And I just want to close. Um, I close on that because we, went, we, we kind of went from big to small and we got down to where we live. And hopefully you're not sitting there thinking that this has been anything condemning at all. But these are things we need to talk about in the church. If we're going to truly be more and more reflecting God's heart and knowing God's will for our life and how we're to walk, then we have to really be real about that we are so affected and that Paul made the point of saying that our transformation 
is so much in part about renewing our mind, renewing our thinking, that we have faulty thinking, and that we need the Word of God to so, to so take us, with the Holy Spirit turning that in our lives to change us from one degree of the image of Christ to the next. And let me tell you, every mission that we have in the church, which we didn't talk today about doing, you know, that's what Paul gets in for the last four chapters. We didn't talk about that. Paul doesn't let us off the hook and say, just think rightly. We need to live rightly, but we need to think rightly, which will actually lead to living rightly. And that's where we need to begin. So, I just want to encourage you in this today, because as you change and as I change, we actually are seeing the glory of God, and it will result in mission. It will result in walking out. Boy, if I'm going to camp out, by the way, in Romans 9 through 21 in our Sunday school class, but for me personally, you know, I've got situations in my life where, where I'm actually feeling kind of attacked from some people. You know, and, and I tell you, when you feel that, and then you read to, to love your enemies, and to actually, if your enemy is hungry, that you feed him, and if he's thirsty, you give him water. That's a lot easier read and said than done. Let me just tell you that. And I'm not predisposed to do that. And so the Lord has pointed out something in my life that I know I need to camp out on for a while. And I hope that he'll do that for you too. Not because you're a bad person. We're all little chrysalises here. About to turn into butterflies one day and we're in process together. So as the praise team comes, I pray that, uh, that God will have spoken to you um, however he would choose today. If, if you want to come up for prayer today, I'd love to pray with you. Um, or just to talk or, or whatever. So let me just pray for us. Lord, just pray that as your word has been shared today, Lord, you would use it for your glory. And Lord, that you would air it into people's hearts and minds. Lord, to do your work of glorifying your son and making him famous forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.